Think back for a moment all the teachers you had growing up, and I wonder if you can identify a particular teacher who had a deep impact on your life. Can you think of one? In fact, just share that with your neighbor there. Would you just ask him, has there been a teacher in your life that really impacted you deeply? No? Oh, yeah, Mrs. Huddleston, my kindergarten teacher, or whatever. <laughs> think somebody? Has there been a teacher in your life that's made a difference? I know when I think back on my life, I, uh, my mind goes to my seventh grade teacher. Her name was Miss Vile, and uh, the truth about Miss Vile is that she could have easily become a bitter old lady because she was wheelchair-bound for most of her life due to a... Uh, kind of a freakish congenital birth defect that she was born with, but uh, she was anything but bitter. She loved life, she loved her students, and she loved teaching us about history. She was the first teacher I ever had who made history come alive for me. You ever have a teacher like that? It was wonderful. Ms. Vile particularly loved to tell us stories about the great shipping disasters in history. And I can remember all of us sitting there in our seventh grade class spellbound as she would unfold yet another tale of drama and suspense about one of the great ships that had gone down at sea, like the Lusitania or the Andrea Doria or the Titanic. I remember that even the most drugged out kid in our school had a huge turnaround that year because of the influence that Miss Vile had in his life. She impacted me so much that when we had kids, I really wanted them to have that same experience that I had of hearing her tell those incredible stories. Unfortunately, I didn't have the presence of mind back in seventh grade to like bring a tape recorder to school with me and tape record them. But many, many years later, when I went home on a visit and I decided to look her up. And thank God she was still living and she actually welcomed my dad and I over to her home and I did bring a tape recorder that time. And there at her kitchen table, dear Miss Vile, told the same spellbinding stories that I'd first heard 25 years before. And my sons did end up getting to learn some history by listening to them on tape as they would drift off to sleep at night. And I hope you're not scarred too bad from that experience. <laughs> but, you know, thank God for teachers, wonderful teachers who impact our lives so deeply. Today I want to talk with you about the greatest teacher of all time, bar none. You know, in the series we're in called The One, we're gazing together at this glorious portrait of Jesus Christ that's painted for us in the Bible. Last weekend, we saw Jesus as the great worker of miracles. Remember that? The one who stunned people with his amazing power. But today, we're looking at Jesus in another light as the great transformational teacher of truth. And Jesus was a teacher, wasn't he? He was often called rabbi, which means teacher. He did not refuse that title. On your outline there is a verse from John 13, 13 in the box there. Let's read this out loud together. The words of Jesus, he says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus was a teacher. His ability to teach people the truth in dynamic and uh, life-impacting ways was recognized by many people. Now, Jesus did not have a classroom per se, that he taught in. 
Instead, it was kind of like the world was his classroom. He taught as a way of life. He was always teaching, whether he was in the synagogue on the weekend or walking along the path with his disciples or sitting down at a meal together with some people. He was forever teaching. He was even teaching when the Roman guards were driving stakes through his wrists and through his legs. Jesus was the quintessential lifestyle teacher. You know, the people who heard him always had a reaction. <laughs> you never hear anybody after listening to Jesus say, oh, well, whatever. I wonder what's for dinner, what's on TV. No, no. His teaching always elicited a response, a strong response. Sometimes it was positive, other times it was negative. But his teaching always caused minds to engage, hearts to be stirred, consciences to awaken, and emotions to rise up. Just listen to some of the responses people had after hearing the teachings of Jesus. Right after his Sermon on the Mount, here's what is recorded in Matthew 7. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. You might want to circle that word, astonished. For his teaching, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And I wonder if any of the scribes were standing around like, so what are we, you know, chopped liver or what? Luke 4 says this, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. John 7 records another response. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Which being translated means he didn't go to our schools, our seminaries. And then I love this. Uh, there was a, a time when they were trying to round Jesus up and bring him in for questioning and, and he was able to slip away. In John 7, 45, it says, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Well, I agree. And for 20 centuries, millions of people have continued to have their hearts stirred and their lives changed by this man's words because no one ever spoke, no one ever taught like Jesus of Nazareth. Well, thankfully, many of his teachings were written down, right? And passed down through the centuries. We still have his teachings today contained in the pages of our Bibles or on our devices with their Bible apps. We have his teachings. And I must say that the words of Jesus Christ have changed my life and many of yours as well. Well, there are two things about the teaching ministry of Jesus that I want to get across today, okay? And again, I hope that you'll take what we learn in here today and teach it to somebody else. That was Jesus' intent, that his teachings would be passed on from person to person. Jesus was a great teacher, a master teacher. The first thing I want us to see is this. Jesus was everything that a great teacher would be. He was absolutely everything that you would expect a great teacher to be. Think about this. Jesus cared for his students. That's the mark of a good teacher, right? He wasn't just teaching material. He was teaching people, and he, he cared deeply for people. Many of you know that the term disciple that you see in the Bible actually means learner or student. In that culture, people who wanted to learn would attach themselves to an educated person, a rabbi, and if the rabbi selected them as disciples, then they would begin to follow him and learn about life from that rabbi's teaching. In the Jewish culture, most learning and training took place first in the family, but then beyond that, 
from these religious teachers, the rabbis. Well, Jesus entered into that culture and he adopted that same practice, although he had no formal training to speak of, at least not the kind of training that was recognized by the educational elites of his day. And as you know, Jesus called young men to himself and he began to disciple them. And as you read the gospel accounts of Jesus hanging out with these guys, it becomes very apparent that he loves them. He cares for them. They live together. They eat together. They sleep out under the open sky, the stars together. They minister together. They struggle together. They face problems together. He, he doesn't just teach them as students. He loves them as brothers. That's what the best teachers do. Jesus did that. Also, like with other great teachers, Jesus had a, a following. People respected him, and they revered him, and they followed him. I remember back in my high school, there was an English teacher who was basically a legend at Rigetti High School, where I went. Only a handful of students had ever earned an A in his English class, and I remember when I was signing up for classes my sophomore year, several friends challenged me and said, you got to take Mr. Miles' English class if you want to rise above the rabble, if you want to make a name for yourself in academia, you just had to take Mr. Miles' class and do well. And I must say that after I took his class, that he lived up to his billing. He lived up to his re reputation. He was an extremely tough teacher, but very fair. He graded fairly. And when it was all said and done, I could see why kids followed him and revered him and respected him. And I'm happy to say I did eke out an A- minus in his class, a fact of which I'm still proud of to this very day. <laughs> well, great teachers are often like that. They're, they're revered, they're respected, they have a following, and Jesus was no exception. After he began to go public, it was reported that great crowds followed him wherever he went. You might recall one occasion where the crowds were pressing in on him so much and they were so thick, and it was on the shoreline there that he had to get into a boat and kind of take a paddle out to the the sea and teach the people from out there because the crowds were so great. He also taught with great authority. And that's another hallmark of a great teacher, isn't it? There's something about their teaching that sets them apart from the others, and often it's this, this authority. People said that about Jesus a lot. Like in Mark 122, it says, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. A little later it says they were amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? See, Jesus' words had, had weightiness, had gravitas. They were heavy. They, they landed on the human heart with a thud. They had weight to them. His teachings, as you know, were often contrary to the cultural norms of his day. And yet he delivered them without flinching and without offering a bunch of disclaimers up front. He had no problem at all telling people that they, things that were hard to hear, but true. Like, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Love your enemies. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Fear him who is able to cast both soul and body into hell. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, who will be able to save you from hell? You are of your father, the devil. Whoa, heavy 
weighty stuff. Sometimes Jesus' words were soft and heartwarming. At other times, they were very strong rebukes. But no matter what he was saying, his words always had the ring of authority to them. Now, he also demonstrated something else that many authoritative leaders struggle with. Letter D, I think, on your outline. He operated under authority. He had authority, but he operated under authority. Whose? Fathers, right? Isn't it true that gifted teachers and leaders can struggle to stay under authority with the right attitude? They have authority, but oftentimes they chafe at being under authority themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Some teachers and preachers are what I call scary gifted. You know anybody like that? Their communication gifts are so pronounced and so empowered that people are just drawn to them. And with that comes the temptation for many of them to start believing that they are an authority unto themselves and they don't have to answer to anybody. You know what I'm talking about? I'll tell you what, Jesus was scary gifted. And yet, he was under authority. He did possess weighty authority as a teacher and immense crowds were drawn to him, but he didn't let it go to his head. He was grounded. He was anchored to a core conviction that he was here under someone else's authority. And he didn't mind letting people know that often. John 12, he said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. I'm saying what my Father told me to say. John 7, Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. Then how about this, John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Don't you just love this man? I do. Authoritative beyond imagination, yet humble enough to remain under the Father's authority. Give glory to Him. That's the teacher I want to learn from and follow and live for and surrender my life to. That's how Jesus was in His character and in His demeanor, in His heart for people. Jesus was everything that a great teacher would be and should be. But this was also true in how he taught the people, the, the methods that he used to get his message across. In that way, too, he was everything that a great teacher should be. Who can deny that Jesus employed powerful, proven, time-tested teaching methods as he taught people? Think about it. He asked questions, didn't he? That's what good teachers do. He asked probing, provocative questions. Like, why are you anxious about clothing? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? What did Moses command you? Whose inscription is on this coin? Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Which is the first and greatest commandment? Have you never read the scriptures? What is the kingdom of God like? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Do you love me more than these why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Questions, questions, questions. Jesus was a master asker of questions. The Bible records him asking over a hundred different questions, sometimes to jolt people, sometimes to get them thinking. 
sometimes to provoke a response, sometimes to silence people who just needed to shut up and listen, and sometimes to just start a conversation. Like all good teachers, Jesus asked great questions. He also told some memorable stories, did he not? Jesus knew the power of storytelling. You know, I was thinking about this. Even people who don't have much of a background in Christianity probably know at least one of the famous stories that Jesus told. He told one story about a shepherd who was responsible to care for a flock of 100 sheep. But in that nightly roll call, he discovered that one of those sheep had gone missing. Without hesitation, what did he do? He left the 99 behind and he went to chase after the one that had strayed away. And finally, after tracking down that one lost sheep, the shepherd carried the little lamb back to the fold with great rejoicing in his heart. And then he threw a big party in his village to celebrate the rescue of the one lost lamb. That story tells us about the pursuing heart of God. And many of you here in this room, I imagine, can attest that you were that lost sheep and Jesus came chasing after you. You know, Jesus is still pursuing people today. I had an interesting experience yesterday. I, I um, sold my car. I got tired of driving a, a stick shift, which I've been driving for the last three years. You know, it's kind of hard to shift and eat McDonald's at the same time. And so I sold it. I've been looking for another car on Craigslist. And, and yesterday, I, I found one, and, and, you know, it was everything I was looking for. It was, the price was less than what I had budgeted. It, it felt orchestrated anyway. But I found myself up in a community up north in the living room of this couple. And we were talking about the car, and, and I agreed that I was going to buy it. And so I'm standing there at the kitchen table, and I'm putting my money out on the table. And the gal there happened to be a notary, okay? So she's got the title in hand, and she's filling it all in. And she said, oh, what do you want me to put down for the sale price? And I said, put down the price that I'm paying you for it. Almost on cue, the guy I thought was the husband in, in the kitchen, he says this. He says, you know what? I gave my heart to Jesus when I was nine, but I haven't been in church since. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he says this, and he says, you know what else? She and I are living in sin. We're not married. And I'm, I'm standing there. She's just flipping through the bills. And I said, you know what? I think Jesus is chasing after you. This feels kind of orchestrated, doesn't it? Like there's someone behind this? And he said, yeah, it really does. So we got to talking a little bit. And he said, you know what? I think I want to go to your church. And I said, well, my church is 45 minutes away. But I got a pastor friend who ministers right up here in your community. I'd love to hook you up with that church. And he said, yeah, we, we need that. We need that. And he looked at her and said, she needs that too. <laughs> she did. He literally, he literally said that. And so we finished the transaction and so forth. And I said, look, before I drive your car that's now my car away, I would love to pray with you. And so right around their kitchen table, I prayed for them, that they would experience the grace of Jesus Christ through the cross, and that they would say yes to the shepherd who was chasing after them to bring them back to the fold. And when I said amen, he looked up at me and he said, that felt good. He said, I haven't been prayed for in a long, long, long time. You know what? Jesus is still chasing after people. Still! He's the good shepherd. He's going after the stray lamb that has wandered away from him and from the flock. 
What a storyteller he was. He told another story about a Jewish man who took a trip from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And along the way, he got mugged by a gang of robbers who beat him up pretty good and left him there for dead, lying in the dust. You know the story. Before long, some fellow Jews, very religious men, as a matter of fact, came along, walking down that same path. They saw the man lying there, all bloodied up. And what did they do? It says they passed by on the other side, hurrying on their way. But then a Samaritan man, a man who would have been despised by the Jews, comes along and says his heart is moved with compassion by the man's desperate plight there, and he stops And he applies first aid to the man's wounds. And then he pays for his kind of an extended stay at a care facility. What's that story called? The Good Samaritan. How many millions of people have been affected by that story through the years? It's even made its way into our cultural story, hasn't it? People talk about the Good Samaritan. Jesus told yet another story about two men who each had plans to build their dream home. One chose to build his house on a slab of rock so that it would be firmly anchored to a solid foundation. The other guy chose to build his dream home on the beach, presumably so he could have an oceanfront view. (laughs) After construction was completed on both of the homes, as fate would have it, a strong Category 4 hurricane blew through that region, did immense damage. Each man wondered how his home would hold up to the gale force winds. Well, the new day finally dawned with clear skies, the winds died down, and it was revealed that the house built on the sand had completely collapsed, while the house built on the rock, what, stood firm. Same basic house, same storm, two different foundations, two totally different outcomes, and then Jesus said that each of those homes represented people's lives. And the vital importance of building your life on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. He told another famous story about a very wealthy man whose farming business one year had a banner year. Bumper crop came in that year to the point that he didn't have enough room to store all of the massive harvests. So what did he do? Instead of spreading the wealth around to the other needy people in his village or even to his own relatives, he decided to build a bunch of bigger barns to store everything in. Then he sat back feeling very confident that he had secured his own future. And he decided to start taking life easy and indulge himself in comfort and ease and entertainment. Unfortunately for him, he died that night. And so he didn't get to enjoy any of his so-called security. And Jesus ended that story by saying that God looked at that man and called him a what? A fool. A rich fool. Jesus told so many powerful stories and parables. Who can forget the story about the ten bridesmaids? Five of whom were unprepared for the sudden, unexpected arrival of the bridegroom late at night. And they ended up being locked out of the wedding feast. Remember hearing about that one? Or what about the master who went away on a trip and entrusted his affairs to his servants and he instructed them to to work hard to increase his estate while he was away because he was going to come back and demand an accounting from them of how they had managed his affairs. Or how about the story of the man who had an unexpected guest one night, late. Guy shows up at his door, it's midnight, and the guy looks in his cupboard, he's got no food to feed his guest, so he goes next door to his neighbor's house and he stands outside knocking on the door. Neighbor, 
Get up, I need some bread. I need three loaves of bread to feed my guests. That was a story about the power of persistent prayer, right? Where Jesus said, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep knocking on heaven's door, asking for what God has put on your heart. What about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and what that taught us about what happens after we die, the afterlife? How many millions of lives have been changed by hearing and reading the powerful stories that Jesus told? Here's a story that he told that changed my life most recently. You know this story. A man had two sons, a younger son who was rebellious and an older son who was quite religious. The younger son in the story decides that he's going to go to his dad and demand his share of the inheritance, which was tantamount to the biggest insult you could give your father in that day. It's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Give me what's coming to me. And his dad agreed, and the son took the money and ran off to the big city to have the time of his life. The older son stayed at home and dutifully carried out his chores every day while secretly resenting his younger brother for shaming the family, right? and resenting his dad for allowing it to happen. Well, the money runs out for the younger son, as it will do. He comes to his senses. He starts getting ready to come back home, basically in his mind thinking, I'm going to sell myself as a servant to my father. Maybe he'll receive me back in that way. I can pay off my debt to him. Only to his surprise to find his dad running out on the path to greet him, hugging him and saying, welcome home, son. No penalty, no retribution, even throwing a huge party to celebrate the return of his prodigal son. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older brother hears the ruckus in the house and the music and the laughing and the partying, and he just can't find it in his heart to join in, despite his father coming out and pleading with him. He's ticked off that his dad has welcomed home his prodigal brother, and he's angry there's never been a party thrown for him. Where's my party? I've been at home doing what you wanted me to do all these years. Where's my party? And the story just abruptly ends there with the listeners maybe starting to understand that Jesus was telling them that there are actually two kinds of lostness, not just one, and that spending your life trying to be good can alienate you from the Father just as much as spending your life being bad. That story changed my life, my Christianity, my view of the gospel. Incredible story. What a teacher Jesus was. He asked questions. He told stories. He also used the power of visual aids, didn't he? Object lessons. He was a master at it. Good teachers do that. They use everyday items and things from nature to communicate truth. That helps people who are visual get it. They can see it. And so Jesus would be walking down a path with some friends, and all of a sudden he would say, hey, look at the lilies of the field over there. Or look at the birds of the air. Or he would say, see that sheep pen over there? See that gate, that door? I'm like that gate. This cup of wine here is like my blood that's going to be shed for the sins of the world. Look up at the sky, he said on one occasion. See those dark clouds? You know how people can tell what the weather's going to be like by looking up at the clouds in the sky? In the same way, wise people will be able to discern the time of my coming by paying attention to the signs. 
One of his visuals that impacted me very deeply was when Jesus was walking through a garden with his disciples one day, and he, he came to a grapevine, and he just stopped. And I imagine he kind of took a, a vine in his hand, and he looked at his disciples, and he said, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but without me, you can do when I first heard that, that changed my whole view of ministry. Oh, he's the, he's the vine. My job is to stay close, stay connected to the vine. Life resides in him. His life will flow through me. Oh, minute by minute, dependence upon Jesus Christ is the key to fruitful ministry. Did you know that? Well, Jesus taught that using an object from nature. What a teacher he was. And like great teachers do. Jesus also, from time to time, employed the use of exaggeration or hyperbole when it, he felt it was warranted. You know what hyperbole is? It's like, you know, outrageous statements of exaggeration in order to make a point or, or arrest people's attention. Sometimes it even bordered on the absurd, the hilarious. Remember when he said, first, take the beam out of your own eye. And then you'll be able to see clearly to take the little eensy-beensy speck of sawdust out of your friend's eye. Or remember when he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. <laughs> if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to enter eternity maimed than your whole body thrown into hell. Whoa. Jesus used hyperbole to awaken people to the truth that sin is way more serious than they ever imagined when it comes to God. I could go on and on talking about the powerful teaching methods that Jesus used to get his points across. He taught people by using analogies. You are the salt of the earth. That's an analogy, isn't it? You're the light of the world. He taught people by using proverbs. Now, I'm trying to be a decent teacher, so I have an object with me in my pocket today. Can you think of any of Jesus' proverbs that involve pearls? Yeah. What did he say? Don't cast your pearls before swine. That's a proverb. That's an axiom of life. Don't take that which is precious and present it to people who won't appreciate it, who won't value it. Can I take a moment and apply that one to scenarios today? You're a young lady in the room. God has gift, given you the wonderful gift of your sexuality. And maybe you're this way. Maybe you're being tempted to give that to a young man. Or maybe you know someone who's being tempted to give that gift to a young man. And that young man has not committed his life to you. And you're thinking in your mind, well, if I give him this gift, then I'll become more valuable to him. And Jesus would say, you might be casting your pearls before swine. More likely than him valuing more is that he will devalue you. He will value you less. Don't cast your pearls before swine, Jesus would say. You know what the rest of the, the proverb says? lest they turn on you and tear you to pieces. It's destructive. It's destructive to do that. Don't take that which is precious and give it to someone who will not cherish and treasure it. Does that make sense? 
I'll tell you, Jesus was a powerful teacher, wasn't he? Analogies, proverbs, axioms, parables. He used allegories. He said, my flesh is like the manna that came down from heaven and fed the Israelites in the desert. He gave demonstrations, like object lessons, like turning water into wine, like we saw last week, in order to teach people. He set up scenarios. He gave assignments. Jesus often taught by giving explanations of his actions or his disciples' actions to people. He gave tests to see how well his disciples were learning what he was teaching. He preached sermons, great sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the greatest sermon of all time, the Olivet Discourse, wonderful teachings, lectures, sermons. Jesus used a wide variety of dynamic teaching methods to communicate truth to a wide variety of people with a wide variety of learning styles. What a teacher Jesus was. He was everything that a great teacher should be, but I want you to know today he was more than that. There are some human teachers who might claim to match Jesus' style or use some of the same methods Jesus used or you maybe even teach some of the same ethical content, but I believe no one else is really in the same league with Jesus as a teacher. See, he was not only everything a great teacher would be, but point number two, he was way more than any other great teacher could be, could ever be. Say, how so? Well, think about this. He validated his teachings with miracles. Did you get that one right, the blank? Okay, you were guessing on the blanks, weren't you? (laughs) He validated his teaching with miracles. Do you remember Nicodemus' statement to Jesus? Remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, Nick at night, came to Jesus <laughs> and met him late in the night. And here's what he said in John 3, 2. Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus' teachings were undergirded and affirmed and authenticated and validated by his miracles. They proved his teachings. Who else can claim that? What other teacher? You know, if you're standing around one day and you say, oh, by the way, I am the resurrection and the life, and then you raise someone from the dead, that lends some credibility to your message, doesn't it? When you can do that. One day, Jesus encountered a man who had been lame from birth. And Jesus stunned the onlookers who were there that day by first telling that man, Your sins are forgiven. Everybody got all upset over that. What? Did he just say what I think I heard? Your sins are forgiven? And then Jesus proceeded to ask one of his famous questions, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your mat, and walk? Well, if you're the son of God, both of those are equally easy. So he looked at the man and said, get up, take up your bed, and walk, and he did. His miracles validated his message. You know, maybe you have friends or relatives who are skeptics or maybe just not even interested in Christianity. Or maybe they think that Jesus is just one of many good religious teachers down through the ages. Tell them, challenge them to study the life of Jesus, including his teachings and his miracles. Jesus was the greatest movement leader in the history of the world. 
And people in our, in our world who want to live intelligently would want to know something about a man like that, wouldn't you think? Challenge them to study the life and teachings of Jesus, and they will discover Jesus was set apart from every other religious teacher and leader. Different category. Well, not only were his teachings, teachings validated by miracles, but his teachings also contained some astounding statements and claims. Jesus said some things that many people would consider outrageous. I just mentioned one, your sins are forgiven. How about these comments? I came down from heaven. Really? <laughs> I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, to me. The kingdom of God is among you. The reason that you do not believe is because you are not my sheep. He who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. He has passed from condemnation into life. And at one time he said this, I give life to whomever I will. You know, if you ever hear me or someone up here say stuff like that, you should run away fast. Outrageous statements and claims. You need to know, Muhammad never said stuff like that. I did a paper in grad school comparing the claims of Jesus Christ with Muhammad, and there is no comparison. <laughs> Jesus' claims were way more outrageous. Jesus is set apart from all other teachers of religion because of his powerful miracles that backed up his teaching and because his astounding claims were truly unique. And also think about this. He embodied his teachings. Jesus lived what he taught every day, thoroughly, completely. One man said that's why his teaching was so powerful, because he himself was a living illustration of everything he taught. As a teacher, you know this, when your message and your lifestyle match up, that's a potent combination. That's influence. No one did that better than Jesus. Love your enemies. He taught it. He lived it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He taught it. He lived it. Lay down your life for your friends. He taught it and he lived it. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Check, 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 check. Jesus taught it. Jesus lived it. Turn the other cheek. He did that. Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He taught that too, and thank God he lived it. And not only did he live it, he lived it for us, for his people. Jesus embodied his teachings, and he did it for us. What I mean by that is that, the, that Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. And then he offered his perfect record of straight-A obedience to all who would repent of their sins and believe in him. You should be very glad about that. I am. That's called grace, isn't it? Grace. You know, without grace, we're all doomed. Because none of us could ever live up to the ethical teachings of Jesus Christ. None of us could. 
He should rightfully be our judge, and we should rightfully be, con be condemned. Our report card on obedience would have what? Like C's, D's, and F's. But thank God, the judge became our substitute. He took the sins of his people upon himself when he died, and then he gave as a gift his straight A report card to those who believe in him. That's a teacher I want to follow. That's a teacher I want to learn from. That's a teacher I want to give my life to. A teacher who not only teaches me the truth of what God requires for me, but then lives it out himself and then gives that to me as a gift. That is the gospel of grace, the good news that you have only to receive if you never have. Listen, Jesus was more he was so much more than any other human teacher could be. He stands alone. Final thing I'll mention, is he said this one time. He said, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, my teachings, my words are life-giving. And many of you would give testimony to that, right? You believed his words and life sprung up in your soul, eternal life. What other teacher can claim that? Well, maybe at this point you, you've heard all this talk about Jesus teaching and what a magnificent teacher he was, and maybe you're thinking, I wish I'd been there. <laughs> I wish I'd lived 20 centuries ago. I wish I'd been able to sit at the feet of Jesus. I wish I'd been able to hear his teachings. You know, I, here I get Pastor Steve and these guys, you know. <laughs> I have thoughts like that. <laughs> but you know what? You can. You can, in 2012 and 2013, sit under the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ because his teachings got written down and passed down to us. When you read the Bible, when you listen to the Bible spoken to you on your app, when you heard it, hear it preached or taught to you, you are, in effect, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You're learning the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? That's what that's all about. Well, one day, if you know Christ, you will be able to sit at his feet, the master teacher, and listen to those spellbinding stories, amazing teachers come tumbling out of his lips as he continues to teach us throughout all of eternity. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you're going to be a part of that. If you have faith in Christ, you will. Well, I want to close today by giving New Life Church a, a challenge, or two, how about Hopefully grace-soaked. You'll hear more about these early next year when we start encouraging each other to incorporate some gospel rhythms into our lives. But for now, I'm just going to exhort you to consider the power and the joy and the strength that will flow into your heart when you establish a consistent rhythm of sitting at Jesus' feet every day as one of his disciples and letting Jesus teach you from his word. We call that daily quiet time with God. Daily quiet time with God. You in a quiet place, your Bible, Jesus speaking to you through his word, you speaking to Jesus through prayer, and this dialogue, this communion going on with you and your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about the joy and strength and resolve and encouragement 
be able to sit at the feet of Jesus every day. You can do that. Is that a rhythm in your life yet? I mean, like every day, spending time at the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever picked up one of these yet. They're in our bookstore. They're called the uh, bookstore. They're called the New Life Journals, and they have these classy, hip, cool new covers from the Epic series. Because maybe you have wondered, maybe you've had the desire, yeah, I want to do that, Steve, but I don't know what, the Bible's a big book, you know, where do I read in it? Well, there are Bible reading plans in the New Life Journal that can guide you through daily readings, and there's, there's, there's all kinds of them. There's two-week readings, favorite stories of the Old Testament, favorite stories from the life of Jesus, through the Bible in one year, through the Bible in three years, through the New Testament in 90 days, all of these various and sundry reading plans, along with some prayer helps and guides in the New Life Journal. So if you've never picked one up, it's well worth the whatever it is, seven, eight, but I don't know what it is, but whatever, I bought mine a long time ago, okay? Pick up one of those. Get that rhythm in your life. Here's the second challenge. Let's get even more intentional about passing Jesus' teachings on to other people. That was his intent, that, that people who heard his teachings would then turn around and say, hey, let me tell you what, what he said. That's his plan. And that's why we've been challenging you of late to, to ask God to open up conversations. Now, a guy last week in our church came up to me afterwards. He said, you know what? I've been doing that. He, he works in a prison. He said, I've been taking your teachings and playing them in prison so that my colleagues and such get, get to hear this and it, it stirs up conversation around spiritual things. I said, cool, so I'm in prison, and all you have to be there behind bars, just <laughs> through audio technology. It's like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. You with your coworker, you know, on a break or at lunch or whatever, saying, hey, we're learning some crazy stuff at church. Could I share a little bit with you and tell me what you think? Or if you're a dad teaching your children the, the teachings of Jesus Christ so they hear it from you, and hopefully your life is coming into more and more alignment with your teaching, right? That's where it gets powerful. Let's build this into the rhythms of our lives by the grace of God. Well, thank the Lord Jesus Christ for being who he is. Never was there a man like this man. Never a miracle worker like him, never a teacher like him. Jesus Christ is amazing. We're going to worship him together. I have on the back side of your study outline, I have two challenges the ones I just mentioned, and maybe this would be just a way for you to respond. The first one says, I sense God calling me to build daily quiet time with Jesus into my schedule with more consistency. That's the thing, isn't it? With more consistency in 2013, and I'm saying yes, Lord, to that call today. I'm saying yes, Lord. Give me the grace, the courage, the resolve to do that. So you can just notate that if, if that's how God's speaking to you. The second one says, I sense God calling me to pass his teachings on to others even more than I have been. And I'm saying yes, Lord, to that call today. Let's bow our heads. Let me pray for us.